0: Well, good evening and welcome to this evening's training of the Healthy Discipleship Community. Tonight we're talking about the concept of taming the tongue, and we're going to be looking at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, as we talk about this subject. It's definitely a subject that I think has a lot of merit, uh, pretty much any season of our lives. Uh, Taming our tongue, learning to use our words in a Christ-centered manner, That's something that's vitally important, and it's certainly something that the Lord encourages us to be mindful to do. And so that's what we're talking about this evening. Now, just a couple initial thoughts as we get underway. First off, words are very powerful things, and one of the most consequential things we will ever do is speak into the lives of others, and we can build them up, and we can point them to Jesus, or we can hurt them deeply with what we say. Now, I I want you to be thinking about some of the things that you've said over the course of your life, some of the things that, that maybe you wish even you could take back, but have you ever said something and then immediately regretted it? I know that over the course of my life, I have done that countless times. I've said things and then thought, I wish I could take that statement back, or I wish I could take that reaction back. Sometimes I've just overreacted to things that people have said, and I've thought, you know what, I wish I could take it back, but it doesn't really work that way. Uh, Have you ever given bad advice? We're going to be looking at a portion of James 3 that, that talks about those that are in the context of advising or teaching. Well, have you ever given bad advice? Uh, you know from time to time in my life, I have to admit that that there are moments that I wish I could amend the advice that I had given somebody. If I had more wisdom in that moment, or if I was more intentional in that moment, maybe I would have given better advice. but sometimes we 've used our words to give bad counsel or bad advice, or how about this? Have you ever crushed someone 's spirit with the words you said? I can think to a few moments in my life where I've said things that I could immediately tell on the receiver's face that their spirit was crushed by the words that I said, and so I find myself obviously regretting it. I do have a conscience, <laughs> and so if you have a conscience, sometimes you know if you if you notice that you've crushed somebody's spirit with your words, uh, that's the type of thing that that can be very challenging to wrestle with. Now. In our study of James chapter 3 tonight, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to examine what it looks like to tame our tongues. That's the concept being spoken of in James chapter 3. We're talking about taming our tongues and what it looks like to use our ability to speak in such a way that Christ is honored and others are built up. That's the dual purpose that we're aiming for in our manner of speaking. We want to honor Christ, and we want to build others up. So that's what we're going to be looking at here, and what we'll do is we'll take this a section at a time, and let me bring us to the first section here of James chapter 3, and uh, here's my counsel for us based on this portion of Scripture. I think we're being taught here not to trivialize our opportunities to teach. So if you're given an opportunity to teach, I think the scripture starts off by teaching us that we shouldn't trivialize those opportunities. Don't trivialize your opportunity to teach. Look at what it says in James chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. It says this: Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So James begins this section with some cautionary words. And he's saying, don't just quickly or flippantly presume to become a teacher because there's accountability that comes with that. There's accountability to the people that you're serving. There's accountability to the Lord. And he says, not many of you should become teachers. And and what he's saying here is, if you're not going to point people in a Christ-centered direction, if you're not going to accurately convey biblical truth, it would be better for you to not say anything than for you to say the wrong things or for you to teach the wrong things. If you're put in a position of teaching, it's a position of influence. People make direct decisions based on the type of things that you teach so you want to make sure that you're conveying the right things. And, and he goes on here, and, and we mentioned it just a moment ago, but he says, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, people debate what that phrase means. Some people wonder, does this mean that there is some level of greater judgment that we will face before the Lord? Or is James primarily talking about an audience in front of people? I think that there's probably an application uh, in both directions to that kind of concept. Uh, but for for starters, we certainly know that if you're put in a teaching position, if you're a, in a position of influence or you're speaking in front of others, that people are going to assess or they're going to judge the things that you're saying. So that's certainly true. Those who teach are, are judged with more strictness strictness than those who who don't teach. But we also know that before the Lord, we're accountable for what we teach. And if we influence people to take their lives in a direction that is unhealthy or unholy, that's the type of thing that ultimately, as we give an account for our lives before the Lord, that's the type of thing that I want to have in mind, that there's a day that I have to, that I have to give an account for the words that I have spoken. I have to give an account for the things that I have taught other people And things that have influenced other people. And so I have this. Scripture in mind frequently when I'm preaching and when I'm teaching, when I'm leading sessions like this, when I'm conversing with others. I'm sure that some of you that are on the call and others who are listening to this via podcast, if you're in a position where you're teaching and instructing others, particularly if you're teaching the Scriptures, that you think about these things as well. There's an accountability before people and before the Lord, and so we need to be mindful of that. And James says, basically, don't trivialize it. Don't treat it flippantly. Don't don't presume to become a teacher if you're not going to take this seriously, and he also he describes the plight that all of us wrestle with here, because he says, "For we all stumble in many ways. Uh, all of us goof things up. All of us make errors." Uh, and I have to admit, so you know, each week I'm standing before our church family and I'm I'm preaching and proclaiming the scriptures. And one of the things that drives me absolutely crazy is when I get in front of our, our church family and on a Sunday morning that I may feel somewhat tongue-tied and I begin speaking and sometimes I'll say something and, and, and realize that I've just botched what I tried to say before them. And, uh, and so even sometimes as we're speaking, we can goof up our words or we could get tongue-tied. It happens to me all the time. But when you look at your day-to-day life and when I look at my day-to-day life, I have to recognize that in every category that you can imagine, I have stumbled in one way or another. And so James brings that up here. He says, we all stumble in many ways. So he says, you know, we're not, we're not individuals who get every last detail right. And he says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now, I don't know if anyone on our call tonight or anyone listening to the podcast here would consider themselves perfect or completely mature. But I think the idea here is to recognize that because we are prone to stumble, because we are prone to make all sorts of errors in various ways, that we should keep that in mind when we're preparing to teach others. We should not think that we are above making a mistake. And that should factor into our preparation so that we we should actually value preparation so that we're less likely to make errors. But it should also cause us to be cautious even while we're speaking and willing to admit errors after we've made them. I remember one particular time, and this might seem minor to you, but it didn't feel minor to me. Uh, This is probably almost 20 years ago. I was teaching a a Bible school class, or I guess it was a Sunday school class. And as I was teaching the class, I referenced two individuals from the Old Testament, and I referenced their relationship, just how they were biologically related And I said they were related one way. And then during the course of the week, it dawned on me that I said the wrong thing. And I thought, well, that's kind of a secondary issue. It's not really something that I think even the class would remember that I said. But it bothered me all week that I had declaratively said the wrong thing. And so I started the class off the following week by admitting to everybody, hey, last week, I said these two people were related in this way. And uh, it it turns out they're actually related in this way. And I remember the class looking at me, some of them not even remembering that I had said that, and then others thinking, okay, that's an easy mistake. It's not really a consequential detail. But I know for me, I kind of treated it this way. I thought, I don't even want to get one of the minor issues wrong. And if I notice that I got something wrong, I want to at least have the humility to correct it in front of the people that I happen to say the wrong thing. And um, and so, you know, that was something that that I thought was was worth pointing out. I'll, I'll tell you a comical one, too, that I hope I never make this mistake again. I was uh, actually speaking through um, something in Proverbs, and it makes reference to the fact that says this is the path to immortality. And instead of saying immortality, and this is in front of my church as I was preaching, I said, this is the path to immorality. And then I continued on and I didn't realize I had said the wrong word. Well, there's a very big difference between immortality and immorality. And uh, the next week afterwards, so many people had told me during the course of the week that I had made that error. So the following week, I made the correction in front of everybody. And again, I think it was comical in that context. But the point being, and James brings it up here, he says, look, we all stumble. We all goof things up. So if you're put in a position of teaching, if you're put in a spot of influence where you're actually teaching others, don't trivialize it and don't act like every single thing you say is uh, not subject. sometimes subject to error. You need to be careful with that. And if you notice that you make an error, go back and correct it. Admit it to the people that you taught because you're responsible for what you teach. Now, James goes on. In James chapter 3, when we pick up at verse 3, and I'll read down to the first part of uh, verse 5. But he also stresses the fact that we should not minimize the power of our words. And when we get to our our discussion time in a few minutes, I want to talk about this subject in particular. So I do have a question related to this, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes here. But he says this in James 3, starting with verse 3. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, So if I had to categorize what James is saying in these verses, what I hear him saying is that we should not minimize the power of our words because, yes, even though the tongue is physically a small part of the human body, there's a lot of power behind how the tongue can be used. And so, again, he uses a few examples here that I think most people would find familiar. He starts by talking about horses, and he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. I don't know if anyone on the call tonight has ever had any experience uh, horseback riding, or if any of you who are listening to this in the recorded podcast have had experience horseback riding. Uh, My wife and her sister used to own horses. And so when my wife and I were dating and I would go and I would visit her family, sometimes we would go and we would ride their horses. And I would typically ride my wife's sister's horse. And her sister's horse was known for being very obstinate. Uh, her, the horse's name was cadet and cadet had uh, a mind of his own and was known for being a little bit difficult. And I was told, don't let him, um, tilt his head back too far because he may bite you and he doesn't listen very well to most people. So I had it in mind that when I got onto cadets back and started riding him on the trails that I needed to remind him That I was the one steering, I was the one directing, I was the one guiding, and so I was very intentional about how I directed that bit, how I, how I, you know, pulled the reins and how I steered him. And when he wanted to go in certain areas, if I didn't want him to go there, I would make sure to correct him. And I was, I did not let the the uh, the reins get slack uh, because I didn't want him to tilt his head back and and bite me or do whatever. And it's amazing you have this multiple thousand pound uh, beast that (laughs) there I was on the back of, and I'm able to steer and direct it because of this little thing in his mouth. And it's just amazing how that works. And then James also gives us the example in, in verse four, where he talks about ships. And he says, look, these things are gigantic. They're so large, he says, and they're driven by strong winds. So there's forces at play here, but he says they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So just a small rudder can steer that ship in one direction or another. This past summer, my sisters were camping. They were camping at a spot that had paddle boats. And we went and we rented the, the paddle boats and we were using those. And the, And we happened to get a very well-made paddle boat that would steer very well. And I was amazed at how just the smallest amount of steering directed that paddle boat as well as it did because I've had some in the past that didn't work quite as well, but that one must have had just a really good setup. It must have been in very good repair. And you have just that small rudder directing that boat. And we were able to go wherever we wanted to with precision as that small rudder was able to steer it. And so James uses the example of a bit in the mouth of a horse and the rudder that's on the back of a boat. And he, he says, so also the tongue is a small member. It's not a big thing, yet it boasts of great things. So there's power in our words. Our tongues can be boastful. Our tongues can be hurtful. Our tongues can be edifying. It can be used for powerful things. And James is saying, don't minimize its power just because it's physically small. It actually has great power, and people's lives are impacted in amazing ways through the words that we speak. Well, he goes on when we look at the second part of verse five, all the way down to verse eight. And he starts talking about this idea of the tongue being tamed. So he's saying this thing has such power that it needs to be tamed. And so we're asking the question here, how can the tongue be tamed? Well, look at what he says in the second part of verse 5. And again, I'll read down to verse 8. But he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. if you take all the words that have ever been spoken in the history of humanity, if the if more words have been spoken in an unhelpful way than a helpful way, because here he's describing the tongue like it's a forest fire. You know, it's just like, like a small fire that sets a whole forest ablaze. And he's saying that's the kind of power behind this this tongue, behind our words. That's what he's really getting at. And he's saying that it could, the tongue can stain the whole body. It can set on fire the entire course of a person's life. It could actually be something through which uh, Satan works against other people, the way he phrases it here. He says, and set on fire by hell. And he talks about how difficult it is to tame the tongue. And he, he points out, you know, all sorts of animals, all sorts of animals can be tamed, you know, um, every kind of bird every kind of beast every kind of reptile every kind of sea creature there's all kinds of examples of of animals that human beings have tamed but who can tame the tongue i was amazed i don't know if anyone on the call tonight has ever gone to sea world i went to sea world several times in my life but i remember when our children were little we took them there and it had been at that point a long time since i had last been there and uh, we saw just one of the exhibits with the killer whales. And at the very end of that exhibit, that presentation or that show at the very end, they call out Shamu and Shamu is gigantic. And I was, I I didn't think I had, I didn't remember how big uh, th- that whale truly was. And as they were operating with that whale and causing the whale to do, do different things, I thought, how did, how did they ever figure out how to tame this thing? And so that's kind of what comes to mind when I look at James' words here, when he says, even sea creatures and, and you know all sorts of things can be, can be tamed by mankind, but we struggle to control our tongue. I have to admit there are times that when I find myself about to go into certain contexts that I almost have a word of coaching with myself where I remind myself, John, don't speak or John, don't say that, even though you may feel provoked into saying that, don't reply that way. Don't say it. You're going to be tempted to say it, but don't do it. And I think of that when James is saying that here. And I guess, you know, the useful question for us to be wrestling with is how can the tongue be tamed. Well, there is a way that the tongue can be tamed, and um, l- let me jump to the next verses here as we kind of think about the answer to that. How can the tongue be tamed? Well, look at what it says in um, in James three verses nine through twelve. Because here, I think it's it's ultimately inviting us to wrestle with the question: Can Jesus be seen in your speech? And I'll say this: the way in which the tongue is ultimately tamed is as we trust in Christ. And as we invite the Holy Spirit to work His power in our day-to-day lives, He speaks through us, and He tames our tongues, and He helps us to, to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit as we interact with one another. But here you have James encouraging us to be people who allow Christ to be seen in our speech. So when you look at verse 9 down to verse 12, this is where I'll finish our reading of Scripture tonight, and then we're going to jump into our discussion time in just a moment. But let me read these verses here, because in James 3, verse 9, it says, with it, so it's speaking of the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So here you have James talking about the dichotomy and the difference between how our mouth, how our words, how our tongue can be used. And he's saying, in one breath, we're praising God. So with it, we bless our Lord and Father. So in one breath, we're praising God. But then he says, ironically or strangely or sadly, that with, our same, with that same mouth, with our same tongue, that the very tongue that we've used to praise God, we also use to curse those who have been made in the likeness of God. He's saying that doesn't make sense. From the same mouth, you have blessing and cursing. He says, brothers, this ought not to be so. This should not be. We should not be doing that. Now, again, he's recognizing that we all struggle with this. We struggle in every way, but he, he elaborates here. He says, listen, a spring, uh, he says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? No, it doesn't. It just pours forth. Whatever kind of spring it is, and, and so he's saying, don't be the kind of uh, don't don't let your mouth be a spring that has fresh water and salt water coming out. It doesn't make sense. It kind of makes both useless. He says, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? And the answer, obviously, is no. He's saying that's not the kind of fruit that's supposed to come from that plant. He says, well, neither a salt neither can a salt pond yield. Fresh water. And he wants us to be thinking about these things in a personal way. He wants us to think about these things in an applicational way. And for us as followers of Christ, we want to be asking can Jesus be seen in your speech? One of the most obvious ways that people will be able to see that you truly do care about the role of Christ in your life, that he truly is your Lord, that he truly is your Savior, that he's the one guiding and directing your steps, that's going to be seen in your words. People feel loved through your words. People feel respected through your words. People feel cut down and hurt by your words. Uh, I believe it was Mark Twain that said, I can go two weeks on a good compliment. So he admitted that a good compliment made him feel good for a couple weeks. It uplifted him, it edified him. But I can tell you, I can think back to seasons in my life where I've spent two weeks and maybe more replaying and rethinking Hurtful things that have set, been said to me, and sometimes over the course of my life, I've experienced some hurtful words that have stuck with me pretty much my whole life. And I have done plenty of pastoral counseling through the years, where I've discovered that people have long-standing issues at times because of things that were sped to, or that were said to them in anger during the course of their youth, things that were spoken to them in anger or resentment or with the intention to cut them down in their youth, and then they carried these things into their adult life. And instead of giving the person a glimpse of Christ, the speaker ended up giving the person um, you know, just a, a glimpse of selfishness or even a taste of the fires of hell, like James was speaking of a few verses back. And so this is an encouragement to us, I believe, as followers of Christ to be the type of people who not only bless and praise our Lord, but who also edify one another. We want to glorify Christ, and we want to build one another up in the words that we speak. This is something that the Lord, by the way, has been teaching me to take seriously, and I'm sure that there are others who are on our call tonight that can testify to the same thing just in, in their day-to-day life, and so in just a moment here, I'm going to take us off the screen share, And I'm going to open up the gallery view so that we can just be discussing some of these things. And I hope you'll, you'll feel at Liberty here to, to uh, jump in. And by the way, this part's always fun to me because while I have my screen up, I can't see who's actually on the call. So now I can actually see your faces and, uh, It's nice to be able to see who's who's with us tonight. Richard and Desha and Dennis and Don, I saw you right before I I put the slides up and Andrea, it's good to see all of you guys. I'm using your names for the benefit of those that will only be joining us on audio tonight. And, um, and then that way uh, they know who, who, were, who the cast of characters are this evening as we're discussing this concept. So my first question for us this evening is this. So think back a few verses to the first section that, that, uh, of James chapter, three, James chapter 3 that we were just talking about. And uh, let me ask you this. Do you consider yourself a teacher? And if so, how do you prepare yourself for that role? Love to hear some thoughts on that. I'm picking on Andrea to start us off because she's smirking. So if you're smirking, you get called on. Nope. Unmute yourself. (laughs) Don't give me any grief. Let's hear it.
1: (laughs) I was shaking my head because I was like, no, I don't consider myself a teacher, which is a hard statement since I do it. Every day, all day.
0: Yeah, okay. I was going to say, yeah, well, for the sake of those joining on the podcast that wouldn't know that automatically about you, you know, just share, well, like, what do you do? And, um, and you know, so the question is, do you consider yourself a teacher and how do you prepare yourself for that role? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: I, I am a college professor and I also oversee the children's ministries aspect of our church. So I teach in a formal capacity as part of my job and I teach it in an informal capacity as part of my involvement in our local church. So, um, and how do I prepare myself for that? Um, now there's a lot of things that go into that because it's not just the making sure, uh, I'm well-versed in whatever the content is. It's also a lot about thinking about who the students are and what best, meets them where they are and helps them to connect with whatever it is that I'm trying to communicate to them. So like a lot of it really, you know, a lot of the contents er, content that goes into it is things that I'm already already well-versed in. And, but, so a lot of the time and energy actually goes into uh, considering who, who the audience is.
0: And so, and this might be an obvious question, but do you, I, I guess, do you tailor uh, your teaching with that audience in mind then? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, do you ever think about the fact, particularly when you, you know, you mentioned that you're teaching young children in the context of church. Um, do you ever think about the fact that some of the the things that you're teaching and instructing Um, will become lifelong patterns in some of the lives of those kids. All
1: the time. Yes.
0: No pressure, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah, none at all. Because I very distinctly remember some of my early childhood uh, instructors, particularly when it came to church and things like that. And um, they hold a dear place in my heart. And so I think about some of the influence that they had and some of the things that I know and understand because of the time and energy that they put into um, being a part of my life, and so yes, I, I very much I think about that all the time, and oh, yeah. actually consider it not only not only the pressure of it mattering, but just um, it's really special to me.
0: It is special. I I gotta I gotta give a shout out to two people. One is with the Lord already, and and one's still here on earth. Um, my a couple of my Sunday school teachers when I was a, a child have had a major influence on my walk with Christ as an adult. Jean Constantine, she's with the Lord, but I'm I'm giving her a, a shout out here because she taught us theology at a very young age, and Carolyn Beth taught the teenager class at at uh, my church. She was uh, our pastor's wife and uh, really really helped when it came to early understanding of the scriptures as a teenager and the application there. I, I love those ladies. They, they had a profound impact on my walk with Christ. So I, that's just a testa testimony to kind of back up what you just said there, Andrea, in regard to the influence that, that, a, you know, a teacher in that context certainly has uh, on a life. It, it makes a huge difference. Anyone else want to chime in on that? Do you consider yourself a teacher? And if so, how do you prepare yourself for that role? What do you think, Don? What do you think, what kind of preparation goes into that for you?
2: Well, oh, this is a this is a timely uh, lesson you're doing here. I'm I'm actually preaching this coming Sunday, and the reading is James chapter two one through three twelve, and uh, I actually was working on the verses that you just. Used here, James 3, 1, through 12, last night. And I, and I find myself, uh, along with the last week was James chapter 1. And the verse that talks about uh, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow mm-hmm. to anger. was very convicted by that verse. And now this week, with the whole control in the tongue, and even uh, in James chapter 1, it talks about something about... Uh, if anybody claims to be religious and doesn't bridle the tongue as religion is useless. And, uh, and then, then you bring up about the teaching. And, uh, just recently I, uh, I was in construction my whole life and I, and I was a very, very productive construction foreman. I could get the job done. I was a whipcracker, a foreman. And, uh, what I t- attempted to do was take some of my stepsons, and I'm going to teach them the craft and uh, impart my years of wisdom uh, to them and bless them with that and quickly realized that uh, I may be a good foreman and whipcracker, but a teacher, I am not. And uh, so it ties in with you saying not to take lightly our words and not take lightly our position as teacher, 'Cause seriously I thought it was gonna be like falling off a log. I was just gonna <laughs> show these people how to do what I know how to do and everything was gonna be zippity do da and God revealed to me that uh, I need a lot of work in that area and even the aspect of being a preacher. <clears throat> preaching isn't teaching. And uh, you know, that I I thought I had I thought I had the gift of teaching and I find that I don't. I think I need to listen tonight.
0: You have to, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so tonight's a night's a listening night. Yeah, but I, I, I just it's it, it's kind of a, an interesting thought, you know. Yeah, Desha, let's hear it. I have a couple of thoughts on this, um, and one was just brought to
3: my attention. But um, I've spoken a few times in, in various places, including in church. Um, I filled in for people, and sometimes it's been testimonial or it's been just scriptural. And I find that I have to research everything as far as the scriptures, especially to make sure I have everything in context and uh, that I'm speaking biblically and not specially, I guess yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I, if that makes sense. <laughs> I want to make sure that sure. I have the context right and that, that I'm speaking right from the Bible. And I don't, and that's one of the things when, when you were talking about the scriptures. I think that kind of scares me at times and actually dissuades me from becoming more of a teacher that I feel like perhaps I'm being called to be in some form because I'm actually afraid of, and this isn't, I'm actually sometimes afraid that I won't do it justice or that I will cause someone to stumble. And, and that would be, so I'm trying to find that way to um, overcome that through Christ um, and trust that if that's what I'm supposed to be doing, that he'll put the words out of my mouth and he'll give me the tools and the resources to properly teach what I'm to teach. Um, and also, um, just with my writing and my blogging, um, I hope to incorporate some of those things in there. Uh, because to me, when I do those things, it's truly really not about me, but it's about God. but to help people make that connection, the life uh, to just day to day living to me, um, hopefully does glorify God. And I just hope I wouldn't call it someone there either. Um, because I know I've gotten, um, you know, I, I, the tongue is trying to paint, so I'm guilty.
0: Um, and then coaching. Oh, looks like you're freezing up a little bit there. Can you still hear us, Dasha? All right. Well, we'll see if she's, if she unfreezes for us here. Um, Desha, I don't know if you can hear us, but you're frozen on my screen. So when you come back on here, hopefully this clears up for you. I'd love to hear you finish your thought. Um, Let me jump us to the next question here while we wait for that. Um, When did you become convinced that words have power? So think about that for just a second. When did you become convinced that words have power? Can you think of a time in your life when you became convinced of that? I think I shared on here. While you're thinking of your answer, I'll, I'll share one of my own. Um, I think I've shared this in a prior session, but one of the th- one of the times that actually twice this has happened, um, I have had two times in my in my life where people have named their children after something I was preaching about on a Sunday morning. So I'm thinking that, you know, I selected a scripture to speak about and, uh, and a child was named as a result of that. And I think to myself, like, as, as, uh, like, I mean, it, it, no pressure, right. But a child has to go through the rest of their life based on something that I brought up in a portion of scripture that triggered something in their parents' minds that then influenced them to name their child something. And I, and I, it may seem like a small example, but to me, it, that's, since that's happened two different times, I thought, wow, um, you know, the words that we use have power. It has a direct impact on another person's life. And you have James trying to illustrate that in a variety of ways. Uh, in this portion of scripture, when he's talking about a bit being in the mouth of a horse or or the rudder of a ship, or when he describes the tongue like, a, like the spark that starts a, a forest fire. Words have power. Is there, is there anything, an example in anyone else's life where you've become convinced, you know what, my, my words really do ha- have power, so I need to use these in a way that honors Christ? Can you hear me now, John? We can hear you loud and clear. You got it fixed, <laughs> Dennis. Good job. Well, I, I switched to laptops. So okay, <laughs> using, using, using my old laptop now.
4: So, okay. Um, I, I think that for me, uh, one scenario would have been this is years ago, and it was not in a church setting. It was at uh, in a work setting actually, and uh, I was talking to uh, to one of the people there at work and. Uh, having a conversation. I don't even remember what it was about. And uh, we were kind of laughing a little bit, joking about maybe some things, but I just made the off comment. I said, oh, you're just crazy and kind of chuckled a little bit. And we, yeah, we ended the conversation and walked away. I really didn't think anything about it. I'd said it many times before, you know, and uh, later on that day, this person came back to me and he kind of took me aside and he looked at me. He says, you know, I just want to let you know, he says, I am not crazy. Now, I didn't say it in the sense of, you know, pointing my finger and saying, you're just absolutely, you know, crazy in the sense of, you know, out of your mind type of a thing or whatever, but he really took it in a literal sense. And boy, uh, when he said that to me and just so serious about it, I mean, it really, I could see that it hurt him, hurt him deeply, you know, for me to say that he was crazy uh, and then to come back later and just have to... uh, you know, correct that and make sure that I understood that, 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 what I said was wrong. And, mm. uh, you know, that, that, that's the power of, of our words right there. And, um, you know, in a, in a negative way, but it's so important that we watch what comes out of our mouth and, you know, I mean, obviously what's in our heart is going to come out of our mouth, but at the same time, we have to be so careful about what we say because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can really do some damage. And and uh, I, I, maybe the fact that, um, you know, we had been pretty good friends and, and, and that type of a thing. And I, again, I just thought that, you know, you knew that I was joking with you, but he didn't. He took it extremely serious. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that could even be one of those examples where, he valued your opinion more so than yes. any other people in his life. So maybe he would have yeah. taken that casually from someone else, but because it came from you, you know, it could have also mm-hmm. been adding exactly. to that a little bit there too. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes we don't realize the nature of influence that we may have in a friend's life or in someone else's life. And yeah, that's a, that's an excellent, that's example. Right. excellent example. Yeah. All right. All right. How about this? Let's uh, let's kind of follow with the flow of thought that uh, James is bringing up in this passage. Um, He talks about this idea of taming the tongue, right? When we got to that third section, he talked about this idea of taming the tongue. So, how would you advise someone to keep their tongue in check? Um, And you could answer this question as if you're speaking to another brother or sister in Christ, because there might be a way that you would advise a brother or sister in Christ. Um, or you can answer this question in, in the way that you think maybe you'd advise just a general audience that maybe doesn't necessarily share your your faith. Um, but what do you think, Andrea? I notice you're you're unmuted there. Go ahead.
1: Uh, well, I, I actually was unmuted from the previous question and then just didn't. Mute you didn't myself. remute.
0: Well, you no. can answer whichever one you'd prefer. How about? <laughs> um
1: so how would I approach someone about the concept of keeping like of taming your tongue? Yeah. Is what, what
0: simple? advice, how would you advise somebody to be able to keep their tongue in check? Uh,
1: I think, I think there's two parts that go into it. If you it, to simplify it. And that would be one would be, you know, like bringing it as a matter of, of distinct prayer as, as like a asking God to work in you, Uh, in that regard. So like making it a a definite and repeated item of prayer, something you are having conversations with God about regularly um, as an area of growth in your life. And then I think the other thing is um, entering situations where you know that your tongue might be an issue um, with a lot of forethought. So like you're thinking about the things you want to say, Maybe the things you want to avoid saying, you're thinking about uh conversations you might have, and how you can avoid going in a path that maybe you wouldn't want to it's It's like trying to uh force your brain into it like an intentionality where and I think the best way you can be intentional is by by thinking about it more you know like by trying to um, concentrate so that it doesn't wind up being so random or, you know, just like whatever happens to come out.
0: Yeah. So prayer and forethought. Those are, those are some of the things that come to your mind as far as keeping the tongue in check. Yeah. Any, any other, any other thoughts, how, you know, how would we advise someone to keep their tongue in check? You know, if someone said, how, how do I do this? Like my, my tongue kind of gets away from me. I, I speak. And I don't think I just kind of (laughs) talk. And we've all done that, right? I mean, James says, none of us is perfect. We've all done that. I mean, I've spoken. And then after I've said certain things, I thought, I wish I could take that back. That came out the wrong way. Or I said that in a moment of anger, or I said that during a season of my life where I was ridiculously immature or whatever it may be, you know, um, any, any other, you know, just words of counsel that you would give to somebody? How would you advise someone to keep their tongue in check?
2: I've been looking at uh, James 119, being quick to listen and slow to speak is the best way to try to keep it in check. And um, when you uh, were talking about when you got the realization of how powerful words are, uh, I remember reading that book, the, 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 the five love languages Mm-hmm. And when I did the test, I come to find that like, my love language is uh, words of affirmation. So words are very important to me, even though I pretend like I don't care what anybody thinks. <laughs> what uh, it's kind of like. Uh, very Don, important.
0: I have learned to never believe somebody when they tell me that they don't care what other people think. I, I just I've stopped believing people they say, because I think we all to one degree or another, we we do care. You know, sorry to interrupt, but i I, I know what you mean and,
2: and another thing is I have had my my children all are all adults, uh, late twenties and early thirties and, and uh, they've shared with me stuff from when they were children mm-hmm. that you know I said or somebody said and and, and, and seeing you know, what the words uh, the weight that they carried. Sometimes it was something that was said, kidding. Sometimes they just misunderstood it was said. I've seen some of that, but, uh, yeah. how things have affected. And then I thought of some things that, uh, that were said to me as a child and how they, you know, I still hear, I still hear those things. And some of the, even battles, you know, I, I battle with the, uh, you know, with the enemy, bringing them, bringing them back, back to, to me, I hear them in my father's voice and, uh, mm. For things of that nature. So uh, the memory of what words have done to me and what I've heard people share with me about what words have done for them really give me an understanding of how powerful our words are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good example. Very true. Uh, yeah. Dennis. Um,
4: <clears throat> I was just looking here at, uh, in James three and, and out of the uh, the passion translation in verse 13, it says, if you consider yourself to be wise and one who understands the ways of God, advertise it with a beautiful, fruitful life guided by wisdom's gentleness. Hmm. Never brag or boast about what you've done and you'll prove that you're truly wise. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, boy, I wish I could say that I that's that's been the story of my life for all these many years. But uh, I know that it hasn't been. And yet at the same time, I think uh, as. Uh, someone said you know we really have to be careful about what comes out of our mouth and the only way to do that is sometimes just seriously think about what it is that we're saying in the context that uh, you know that we fi- I mean uh, you know where we find ourselves at and you know just not getting not not letting our mouth get ahead of ourselves right and uh, yeah. just you know take, taking time to really think about it to as we're listening maybe to what that person is saying at the same time we're listening to what is going on in our own mind and trying to, uh, you know, say something that it's going to be, uh, you know, whether it's instructive or, or, you know, building up and edifying and that kind of thing. I mean, at the same time, it's not like we, we need to speak the truth in love as well, but that last part in love, that's, that's huge right there, isn't it? Because, you know, sometimes we can just do it like, man, I just want to get in there and, and plow ground and, uh, yeah and, and and put this thing to rest right because after all i i know it and i'm i'm very wise and intelligent in this matter <laughs> and we start acting the fool
0: <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah i that's that's a good example and and that that's a good segue too to our last question for tonight and this is something that i think about a lot and i i would assume you guys think a lot about too are you are you trying to represent Jesus in your speech? Are you trying to represent Jesus in your speech? How and how? You know, I, I I'll give you one example from my life that I I think is really really important, and I actually shared this example with um, a college student who's attending our church. And um, he's in preparation to become a pastor. He's studying pastoral ministry in college. And I asked him last week if I could give him a piece of unsolicited advice. And you never know what people are going to say when you ask them. Can I give you a piece of unsolicited advice? And he, but he's very teachable and uh, just a great guy. And he said, yeah, of course. And I advised him this, and it, this was related to something, the, the group, this is a, at a Bible study, and it was something our group had been talking about, the importance of ministry to children. And I said to him, when, when you're a pastor, never ignore when children want to talk to you or show you something, or they try to get your attention. Don't make them feel like they have to wait until you're done talking to the adults or whatever. If, if they get your attention and uh, it's their turn, and, you know, uh, make sure that you stay focused on them. Show that their mat- their words matter to you. Speak with them in a kind manner, in an encouraging manner. Don't be dismissive of the things that they're excited to tell you, because it's going to have a huge impact on their perception of their church family. It's going to have a, a big impression on their uh, just their ongoing impression of what it's like, uh, to be led by a pastor and, and just all the things that go into growing in our Christian walk. And, um, I, I always want, I always, I want very much for the children of our church to feel like they are just as much valued in my eyes as their parents are. And as the, the adults and the older people are. And uh, I think that that's a great way that, that the Lord has been helping me to understand the value of how I speak to people, how I can represent him and how I'm speaking. Because when you look at Christ's ministry in an era where, where uh, women and children were basically treated like property, you have Christ treating women and speaking to women with respect. And then when children would come up to him and people would try and chase them away, the disciples tried to chase them away. And Jesus made a point of saying, no, like don't chase them away. They're always welcome. They're always welcome here. And so I think that one of the things the Lord's been teaching me in recent years is that, is that it's very important how I speak to children. I want them to also realize they are a valued and important part of our church family. And just because they're young doesn't diminish their value. If they're talking to me, I want to give them the same attention that I would give their parents. And I think that's one one thing that Christ has been reminding me that I can represent Him well in how I speak. Um, is there is there anything that the Lord uh, has been conveying to you that that you you'd like to chime in on related to that? Is there a way that you're trying to also represent Jesus in how you speak? Yeah,
4: um, I think that that what you said is certainly very very true. I mean, you know, we have to be uh, very. Uh, cognizant of the fact that, that children are a huge part of, of the ministry of the church and uh, to make sure that, you know, they're aware that they, too, have a voice in, uh you know, to be heard in what goes on, you know, in the church. I mean, you know, three and four years old, I, I understand that, you know, that whole situation. That But at the same time, like what you're talking about, I mean, we, we need to stop and say, you know, yeah, I want to hear what you have to say. It's important. That you know, you 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 speak, you you voice your concern, or you tell me about your day, or or what you know what Jesus just spoke to you in Sunday school class, whatever it might be, that's 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 huge right there. I guess the other thing too that I was thinking about, you know, in the book of James was, uh, you know, in chapter two about how he talks about, uh, you know, how we can sometimes get focused on those who have influence and and oh, yeah. power and and, and wealth and so on. And, and, and we leave, uh, we may leave behind the other people that, that don't fall into that category. And, um, I was reminded about something that I saw on a, on Facebook here, not too long ago, a, a pastor was, uh, uh, coming into the church. He was actually taking, you know, the, the, the role of pastor of his church. And, and of course it was a large church and not everybody had seen this man or knew who he was. And so he, uh, that day he dressed as uh, basically, I mean, his, his clothes were, were filthy. He had on a dirty sweatshirt of some kind, you know, hair was all messed up and kind of I think it rubbed some stuff on his face and his hands and so on. And he was kind of walking, you know, around the church and up and down the aisles and people just ignored him. They, they turned away from him. And then uh, somewhere in the middle of that service or whatever, one of the elders stood up and said, oh, we'd like to now, you know, introduce you to the pastor of the church, you know, and here's pastor so-and-so. And And they stood up and they were clapping and, and looking around and waiting for the pastor, you know, to make his entrance. And lo and behold, here comes this basically a bum, you know, walking down the aisle of the church up to the front of the podium, stepping up to the mic, and the people were just, Totally blown away. I mean, they were in just shock. And, you know, it, he he used this as an illustration to say, look, uh, everybody has to be welcomed in the house of God. Right. I mean, just because you don't look the part of, you know, the church goer and your shoes are shined and you have a nice, uh, you know, a shirt on or whatever, your hair's all in place. And, 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 you know, women's make all this kind of stuff. Everything's just perfect, you know. And basically what what they did is they ignored him. You know, they just turned away, walked away from him. And he said they said that you could hear people weeping in the congregation because of the attitude that they had regarding this man that they knew nothing about. And here's the pastor of the church, basically a living example, illustration of what it's like to turn your back on somebody that you know, uh, you, you don't know, but you just look at them and say, I don't even want to know you because of what I see standing here in front of me, you know? So, right. yeah, that was a powerful illustration. Powerful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, We have to be very careful about what we say and about what we do, right. And the way right. we treat people. So,
0: yeah. Whether or not we're truly representing Jesus and, uh, exactly. we want to yeah. be mindful to do so. Yep. Very oh, much so. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing this evening. Very grateful to have this time and grateful that you guys are willing to carve out some time together to talk about these subjects. Always enjoy it and always appreciate the interaction as well. Uh, Those of you that are joining us online, you're certainly welcome to join us uh, in person for these training sessions. Our next one is going to be November 10th. So that's two weeks from tonight, November 10th and that'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're able to join us, we'd love to have you. And uh, all you need to do, just get on my email list, and I'll make sure that you get the link. We send that out usually a couple days ahead of time. But that's it for us tonight. Thanks, everybody, for being part of the call. And uh, we hope you have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon.
4: Once in a generation, a podcast comes along with the power and eloquence to inspire
2: us all. This show will entertain you while you wait for that one. Join two best friends, author and former history teacher John Driver and comedian Johnny W. for hilarious and authentic conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between.
4: You can listen to Talk About That wherever you find your podcasts or at lifeaudio.com.